the title of our sermon series has been Awkward to Awesome, and hopefully, uh, hopefully some of you have been, have been moving a little bit from awkward to awesome. Uh, it's not that uh, being awkward is such an awful thing. Awkward is not awful. Um, awkward means that you're growing, um, and several of us are growing, and City Chapel actually is growing, so we're also kind of in an awkward phase. Um, I've never been a pastor before of a church, um, uh, obviously, because we, you know, film kids and weird stuff like that. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're just, we, we just like to um, try new things and grow, and, and, and at the same time, physically, you know, we're growing and we're expanding, um, but also spiritually, many of our people are growing, and so many of us are sort of reaching awkward phases in our walk with God, and I, first of all, I want you to know that that's okay, that's not an awful thing, but I do believe that when God really shows up on the scene in your life, he takes you from a place of awkwardness to a place of awesomeness. Uh, he did that with Jacob. Most of Jacob's life is incredibly awkward. Uh, he has so many awkward moments in his life. It's just, I just spend half the time laughing uh, as I read Jacob's story and prepare to preach to you. And so, so I'm just really enjoying this, this sermon series. We, we talked the very first week that, that identity is the first thing. You have to understand who you are before you understand what God has called you to do and before you can move on, uh, take the next step in what God is calling you to do. So, so identity is very important. By the way, if you didn't hear any of these messages, they are on the website, city, citychapelchurch.com. You can go there and listen to them at any given point. Um, but we talked about identity. On the second week, we talked about um, uh, bowls and birthrights. And so we talked about the need, really. Uh, we learned from Esau, Jacob and Esau, we learned from Esau that it's so important that you value your birthright, not just your blessing. And so, um, once again, that's available online. Uh, then we talked about, somebody help me out, we, we went from bowls to blessings to pillows and pillars was last week. We talked about pillows and pillars and um, just talked about how God will be there with you. Oh, yes, uh, after, after, after the bowls and birthrights, we talked about guarding the wells. Uh, we looked at, there's a strange little chapter that's kind of inserted uh, all about Isaac and how Isaac, um, when things got rough in his life, he went back and redug the wells that he started off with. It's so important that you go back sometimes to what got you there. You guard your heart, you guard the well of your life, and make sure that you're getting the source of life, which is Jesus, on the inside before you try to perform and, and, uh, and make people like you on the outside. It's so important to guard the wells of your life. The enemy will always try to stop up your wills. And, uh, and so, so we, we talked about that. Then last week we talked about pillars, pillows to pillars. I always get that one confused. Basically, um, Jacob is on the run from his brother Esau. His brother Esau is going to kill him because he first of all sort of tricked him out of his birthright, and then he stole and lied and stole his blessing from his father. And now Esau is chasing Jacob, and Jacob has to leave his home, his country, his family, his friends, finances, he can't take anything with him, and he's on the run. And it's in the middle of nowhere that he encounters God. It's in the middle of nowhere that he, that he comes to a place that, that was called lose, or lose, like loser. Um, and then he realizes that that is the house of God, the Beth El, the house of God. He, he comes into contact with God, and really the pinnacle of that story is where, is where Jacob looks up and he sees this, this ramp that's touching earth, but it's going all the way up to heaven. And we understand that, that ramp is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the extension from God to man and to get us from here to there, to get us from earth to heaven. And so um, Jacob has this amazing encounter with God. And you turn the page, you go on to the next chapter. We're going to go to uh, Genesis chapter 29. We're going to start in verse 14. We're going to read 14 through 35. If you don't have a Bible, it's all right. We got a giant Bible up here on the screen. 
Um, Laban said to him, you are my flesh and my blood. So, so Jacob arrives 450 miles away from his hometown in the town of Haran, and he meets his uncle Laban, and he stays with him for a little while. Laban says, you're my flesh and my blood. Come stay at my house. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Laban's being generous here. He says, tell me what your wages should be. Verse 16 gives us a very interesting scripture. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had uh, weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel because Jacob always looks at the way things appear on the outside. <laughs> Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Going on to verse 19, Laban says, well, it's better that I give her to you than some other man, so stay with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. And all the ladies say, aww. That's like one of the, that was right on cue. Come on, somebody. You're used to responsive preaching. Um, <laughs> this is one of the most romantic sort of scriptures in the Bible. You know, seven years of hard labor working out in the field, and they seemed like only a couple of days because of his love for her. But this next verse is for all the guys. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. Oh, <laughs> we went from lifetime TV to something else. Just keeping it real. HBO, that's right. All right, First, going on to verse 22. The Bible is so great. I love, the Bible doesn't like sugarcoat stuff, you know? It doesn't like... It, just, it, just, it doesn't make a commentary on this man's ethics or morals. It just tells you what is going on. He said, and so verse 22, Laban brought together all the people of that place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah. Now, now, now there's something important about Leah that you need to understand. In the previous verse, it said that Leah had weak eyes. Uh, for centuries, people have been debating what in the world that means. Uh, the, the, the actual Hebrew word means frail eyes. And so some people think perhaps she was blind or, or cross-eyed or there was something going on with her eyes. But, 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 but when you look at that previous verse, it really is a, is, it's a contrast to Rachel. So Leah has weak eyes on the one hand, but on the other hand, Rachel's got a smoking hot body and a beautiful face. So obviously, this is not necessarily talking about Leah's um, vision uh, abilities. Uh, it might, I, some, some scholars think that maybe it, it, it's referring to, you know, that Leah is more hard on the eyes. <laughs> she's not, she's clearly, it's not a compliment, e either way you cut it. Leah is over here in the not so attractive corner, and oh, <laughs> hey, it's, it's just what the Bible says. I mean, this is God. The Holy Spirit says, by the way, Leah was not hot. Okay, she's like a two. And then Rachel's over here. She is a ten. She has an amazing body. That's what Scripture says. A, a beautiful figure. Talking about the body, okay? And for, for all the religious people, I'm sorry. This is not a sermon for you. But... We'll return next week, and we'll get a good one for you. You'll get really fired up. But for this one, it's for all the real people. That's why I love Jacob, because it's so, the story of Jacob is so earthy. It's like so normal. 
a lot of Bible stories, you know, you got like Moses and there's this burning bush and the bush is talking to him. And then he goes and parts the Red Sea. And then, you know, there's the stories where Jesus is, he, Jesus is always doing something miraculous. He's like walking on water, raising people from the dead. There's a lot of just amazing, miraculous stories in the Bible. When you, but when you get to Jacob, it's like, well, there was this ugly girl. <laughs> and then there was this hot girl. Jacob liked the hot girl. It's so us. <laughs> it's so earthy. It's so 21st century American. He's not thinking about splitting Red Seas. He's working seven years, and he says at the end of the seven years, all right, I want to make love to Rachel. He's very crude almost, almost crude. Like, like the, even, even, even a lot of the, the historical commentators are quite surprised because this is not, you know, ancient Middle East kind of rhetoric. They don't normally talk about that sort of thing. But, but Jacob is obviously, you don't really care what people think. This is what he is, I mean, he is, he is, he is emotionally and, and he's looking to be physically attached to Rachel. And he's dreaming about her. It's all about, and, and Rachel's beautiful. Leah's not. Well, time for the wedding comes. Laban brings together a group of people, which was customary in that time. He gives a huge feast. And uh, there's a lot of debate about what in the world is going on here. It seems to me that during the feast there would have been wine. It seems to me that Jacob probably drank a lot of it. Because in this next verse, but when evening came, uh, Laban took his daughter Leah and brought Leah, not Rachel, Leah, and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. <laughs> he slept with the wrong woman, folks. That's in the Bible. I, like, scholars have, have, you know, tried to really, like, you know, make this really, like, they've tried to explain this. How in the world? Uh, Jacob is probably around 67 years old. And so they say, well, you know, he's old, and you can get things confused. 67 isn't that old. Yeah, I mean, you're ready to retire, but... You're not, you know, mistaking a two for a ten. You're not like, you know. I mean, he'd been living in close quarters to Rachel for seven years. Like, you, you think he would know her voice. You think he would definitely know what she looked like. And so, you know, I mean, I, I'm not 67, so I can't really judge. But I don't think that it's, you know, you're senile. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're ready to retire, but it's not, you know, I'm not going to lock you up necessarily. Like, he's, you know, he is still a healthy man working in the field. He's doing all sorts of stuff. His eyes work perfectly fine by all other accounts. And yet he, he, he sleeps with the wrong the wrong woman. Other people say that, well, well, back in those times, it was customary for, um, for the brides to put a veil over, over their face. And so they say, well, you know, she probably kept the veil on and he just didn't know, you know, who she was because the veil was covering her face. Once again, did you not read the previous verse, verse 21? The dude's not looking at her face. <laughs> Come on, but let's be real. He's not like, this is not what that's about. It's not like, oh, let's sit and have a conversation. They're not, they're not talking. They're making music, you know what I mean? Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. That's what, they, that's what he wants. He knows what he's going for. I mean, this is, this is all about this. It's not about let's talk and let's have face-to-face -face time. Like, yeah, she probably had a veil over her face, but really, how do you mistake? How do you, like, this is one of the most awkward moments in all of Jacob's life. He sleeps with the sister by accident. 
Not even on purpose. The dude just completely messes this one up. And when morning came, I love this verse, verse 25. When morning came, there was Leah. <laughs> he rolls over. Hey, whoa, what are you doing here? <laughs> you look different with the lights off. What is going on? You know, he, he's shocked. He's amazed. He's, he's, he's blown away. Who in the world? What has happened? I mean, he jumps out with his whitey tighties on. He goes to his uncle Laban. He is ticked off. And he says, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban's reply is classic. Remember, Laban's had seven years to come up with this reply. Because he knows. The next morning, yeah, Jacob's going to figure this out. So for seven years, Laban has known this conversation is going to happen. This is his reply, carefully crafted, and it shuts Jacob down. He says, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish the daughter's bridal week, because it's seven days with Leah, and then I will give you the younger one also in return for seven more years of labor. And um, I'm just going to stop right there because... Because I think this, 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 uh, this scenario, this sort of awkward story in Scripture, is there not just for us to kind of poke fun at Jacob and laugh at him, but for us to find ourselves in his story, for us to learn from his story, for us, to, it's there for our instruction. As odd as it sounds, because I don't know about you, but I've never been in this situation. <laughs> it's kind of new territory for me. But, 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 but yet... We can learn so much from Jacob. Number one, the simple thing that, I mean, because I'm kind of a simple person, Jacob has issues. And <laughs> that's what I learned from this passage. Jacob messed up. He's got some problems. He's got some, some, he's got some, some issues. And what's interesting to me is that he just had an amazing encounter with God, but he still has some issues. His issue is really, is, really, is really seen in this whole Rachel scenario because you have to remember, Jacob is on the run from his brother. He's lost everything, right? He, gained, he spent his entire life gaining his, his birthright and his blessing. For him, that was the pathway to success. That was the pathway to family honor. That was the pathway to be the chosen one in his family. But now, all of that is in the rearview mirror. He is on to Haran because his brother is out to kill him. As far as he knows, he's never going to be able to return. And actually, he never sees his mother again. His mother dies while he's away. He is gone, and he might never see his family ever again. By the way, his mom was the only one who ever loved him. His dad never accepted him, and his brother hated him. He was, he was always an outcast. He was always an underdog. He was always the second choice. And, 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 and the question is, how has Jacob dealt with all of this? Well, it's simple. Previously, when he was back in, in Beersheba, in his hometown, he, he was going for accomplishment, and he was, he, was, he was gunning for it. And he said, fine, you don't like me? That's cool. I'll take your birthright, and then I'll take your blessing, and then I will be the most successful one, and then people will think I'm worthwhile, that I have arrived, I've achieved something. We see Jacob's mode of healing is not healthy. It's really it's just, it's if I could achieve this, if I can get this accomplishment, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be valuable. Then people will look at me with some kind of respect and honor. And really, from the time of his birth, Ray, uh, Jacob is holding on 
to other people, right? He's holding on to his brother's heel when he's born, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's throughout his life that he's holding on to his brother to get that birthright. When he finally gets the birthright, he, now he starts holding on to his father, gunning for his father, trying to win the approval of his father in order to get the blessing. When he gets the blessing, that doesn't satisfy him, so now he has to run to all the way to Laban. He's been living with Laban for a month, and he's thinking maybe Laban is his ticket, is his key, but then Laban says, all right, what can I pay you? And he says, well, I'll work seven years if you give me Rachel, because Rachel will make me happy. Do you see what he's doing? He's just transferring, jumping from one person to the next person to the next person. And his offer, if we, if we, if we, if we could go back to that scripture uh, where, where Jacob actually says, I think it's verse, I think it's verse uh, uh, 18. Uh, Jacob announces his terms to Laban. Laban says, hey, just tell me your terms. Remember, Jacob's a schemer. Jacob's a planner. Jacob's, Jacob's shrewd. He's going to cut a bargain, right? No. He doesn't cut a bargain. He tells Laban, he says, I'll work seven years for your daughter, Rachel. Now, in those days, typically, uh, a bride's price, which, which usually men would have to pay the, the, the father of the bride a certain amount, a bride's price would be about two years' worth of wages. Jacob is a, supposed to be a shrewd businessman. He's supposed to be driving a hard deal. And then he, he comes out and says, uh, I'll work seven years just for Rachel. What in the world? What, what is he talking about? He's, he's like out of his mind <laughs> in love with her. This is, this is like going to a used car dealership and looking at the Chevy Cobalt that's got, you know, 65,000 miles on it. And, and the used car uh, salesman says, well, you know, how much can you afford? And you say, because that's always what they ask. Like you ask, how much is it? And they're like, well, how much can you afford? I'm like, free, I can afford free. How about free, is it free? Because free is great, free is really good. I'm gonna for free, $5, maybe 10 bucks, I'll give you a 20, it's right in my wallet right now. Like, come on, like, just tell me how much it is. Let's quit with the games, I don't do that. But you know, so Jacob walks into the used car dealership and he says, man, that, that Chevy Cobalt, 65,000 miles, I'll give you $60,000 for it. How's that sound? Well, of course, the used car salesman says, yeah, that's a great deal, 60K, this is great. This is basically what Jacob's doing. He's saying, I'll give you seven years of labor for a girl that's worth two. Why is he starting there? That's his starting negotiation point. Why in the world is that his terms? Well, he's showing Laban his hand. He's, he's showing, he's showing where, where his identity is found. He's showing how valuable it is because whatever is super valuable to you, you will always overpay for it. He says, ah, seven years, because he wants to absolutely make sure that he gets Rachel because he's got to have Rachel because he needs Rachel because maybe, I mean, he's, he's 67 years old and he's got nothing to show for his life. Maybe if he marries Rachel, then, 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 then there'll be some significance to his life. Maybe if he could have the hottest girl in all of Haran, then maybe, maybe there would, that, would, that would say something about him. Maybe that would make him feel a certain way. Maybe then his life would have some significance. And so he puts all of his chips on the table and he's got, you know, he's, he's got like a six of clubs and a nine of hearts. And he just throws it all on the table. He says, I'm going all in for Rachel. And of course, Laban says, sounds like a deal, man. But, but see, this is, this, is, this is the issue, is that Jacob's issues don't stay in Beersheba. They follow him to Haran. And you and I have issues. This is a great time just to say amen and, and, or, or, or just owe me or or just start pointing to other people that you think is, this is probably true of. 
uh, not any moms, because that's not nice on Mother's Day, as, uh, as we've already been told. <laughs> that ain't right. Uh, we don't, you know, so, but, but we all have issues. In fact, you know, like, City Chapel is a place of people full with issues. I mean, the people sitting next to you, they have so many issues. <laughs> don't tell them. It's just between you and me. But they're messed up. They got, like, stuff that... I'm friends with them on Facebook, okay? They got issues, okay? You know what I'm saying? Like, it come, their issues comes up on my news. Oh, I'm just preaching. That's, you got to tell the truth and shame the devil. We got issues. And, and the sooner, yeah, no, seriously, because like, like the spirit of religion will always try to pretend like you don't. Right? So, no, I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good. My life is falling apart, but I'm good. Glory, glory to God. Bless the Lord. I'm good. Everything's good. No, really? No, I think maybe, Jacob, I think you got some issues. I think you're just doing what you've always done. And this is why oftentimes we, we jump from church to church because we're looking for a church, A, that doesn't have any issues because we think we don't have any issues. And so we figure as soon as we, we run into other people's issues that it's time to go to another Haran. But even when you get to Haran, there's your issues are going to follow you because <laughs> they're coming out of you. There's a reason why Jacob is always looking to people in order to bring him significance. It's because he's not deriving his significance from God. And so because he's not deriving it from God, he's having to look to imperfect people who always let him down. And I would just suggest to you that whatever your Rachel is in your life, maybe Rachel is an actual person, or maybe it's a job, or maybe it's, it's, it's a place in life, or maybe it's an opportunity, or maybe it's a ministry. Whatever your Rachel is, when you might be able to go to sleep with Rachel for a night, but you will always wake up next to Leah. Because <laughs> it always disappoints. It always disappoints because they can't do for you what you want them to do for you. It can't do. Whatever travel you might say, man, man, if I could go to that country and visit, yeah, even the very best optimum experience that you can imagine will still, it'll be great for the night, but you're going to wake up and go, oh my goodness, this is not what I thought it was. It's lacking something. It's missing. I'm pretty sure. Woo, Lord. Okay. You know, I mean, some decisions in the night, like when you get in the daytime, they don't look so good anymore. But this is what life is. And if you don't solve your issues, you'll constantly be going from one Rachel to another Rachel to another Rachel. Because every time you wake up next to Leah, you run from Leah because you wanted Rachel because you thought Rachel would do something for you. But it doesn't. Jacob's got issues, and his issues, uh, how is he dealing with the loss of his mother? How is he dealing with, with being in a foreign land? How is he dealing with the loss of his family and his fortune and, and, and his friends? How is it? I'll tell you, he's putting his hopes on Rachel. And he says, man, I'm staying here seven years if I can get her, because if I can get her, everything will be all right. And he thinks that he gets her, and he realizes it's not what he thought it was. And it's a disappointment. And disappointment is what, is what will happen when you put your hopes on Rachel, whatever Rachel is. We see, we see his issues, and, and actually we see how Laban uses those issues. See, when Laban finds out he's willing to work seven years for one girl, he's like, this dude's got issues. 
And he says, I can take advantage of those issues. Look at Laban's response in verse 19. Laban doesn't actually commit, <laughs> doesn't actually say that Jacob can marry Rachel. Look at his response. Look at his words. He says, well, it's better that I give her to you than to some other men. True. So he says, stay with me. He implies that he's going to agree to the deal, but Jacob is so caught up in his issues that Jacob hears yes when what Laban said was maybe. Very similar to what Esau heard when Jacob was talking to Esau about getting his birthright. He, he, he said, just give me your birthright, you keep your blessing. And, and, and so this is very similar, it's just, he's, this is his issue. And so Laban says, ah, you know, yeah, yeah, it's really good that you would marry her. This is so what the enemy does in our lives. The enemy uses our issues like a carrot on a string. And he dangles it out there, the hope of getting that thing, that thing that you want. And it's not even the thing, it's the, what's inside the thing, how you think that thing will make you significant and what it'll do for you and how people will look at you and think about you. It's that thing. And so he hangs it out on a string. And this is exactly what Laban does. He, he, he just kind of throws it out there. Yeah, sure, sure, seven years, you'll get it. And so he works and he labors and he labors and he labors and then he doesn't get it. But look at Laban's response. If we could go on down to that, to that, to that passage where Laban replies, it's verse 26. He says, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Technically, in the Hebrew, what he's, saying, what, he, what he's saying in the original language, he says, around here, the younger does not usurp the older. This is really powerful because Jacob is ticked. And Jacob has almost kind of a legal right to be ticked. He's been deceived. And he comes storming into Jacob's, in, in, into Laban's tent, and he says, what have you done? Why have you deceived me? I worked for Rachel, and I got Leah. But something within Laban's comment shuts down all of Jacob's rage. Because Laban knows where Jacob's come from. And Laban says, I don't know how it works in Beersheba, but around here, the younger does not usurp the older. See, Jacob was the younger. And Jacob had lied and usurped the older. And I wonder, I wonder if when he said that, I wonder if Jacob's conscience was just cut. And he realized that the very statement that Jacob just said to Laban was the same statement that his father had said to him. Why have you deceived me and this is this is the this is the game that the enemy plays in our life temptation and then torment <laughs> temptation and then torment he first tempts you with what you really want and then he accuses you of wanting what he offered you <laughs> he plays between temptation and torment and so many of us are stuck in that same place because Jacob, when, when Laban says this, Jacob realizes, oh my goodness, he knows what I've done. He knows where I've come from. He knows that I'm not worthy to get Rachel anyway. All of a sudden, all this comes crashing in on Jacob and Jacob is defeated and he chooses to serve for another seven years. The number seven is a number of completion and the enemy wants to keep you in bondage for a complete period throughout your life. And so he will keep you trapped between temptation and torment. And so he'll tempt you and then, and then he'll accuse you for being tempted and then he'll tempt you and then he'll torment you for 
responding to temptation, and then he'll tempt, and then he'll put it, and, 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 and the way that he crafts it is so, is so indicative. He plays on his issues. Because Jacob wants people to think well of him, because Jacob sees things on the surface, and so he says, well, around here, the younger doesn't usurp the older. And Jacob bows, drops his head, and in verse 28, it says, Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her attendant. And Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. And verse 31 says, Then the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. He enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will now love me. And verse 33, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord has heard that I am not loved. And he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon, which means to hear. Again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, now at last my husband will, husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi, which means to be attached or to touch. And verse 34, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, this time she said, I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, which means praise. Then she stopped having children. I think what's so ironic is that Jacob wanted Rachel, but really Leah was his soulmate. Because Leah is just like Jacob. Leah has grown up in the shadow of Rachel. Leah is a two, Rachel is a ten. And Laban knows that he can't marry Leah off in the plain light of day. He's got to sneak her into the tent. Yeah, it's messed up. This is gonna be this is gonna be my new phrase from uh, from the kids video. It's messed up. He like held that stare, man. It was just like like burning through him. I was like, I was kind of scared. That's messed up. But that's what her dad does. Because even, even, even the Holy Spirit acknowledges she wasn't much to look at. She wasn't pretty. And this is, this is where she's lived her life. She's lived her life in the not pretty zone. She's lived her life in the not good enough zone. She's lived her life in the, man, I wonder how we're going to get her married zone. Rachel, on the other hand, man, guys are lining up. She, is, she, is, she has this, this perfect selfie life, right? I mean, you're scrolling through Facebook, and there's all these wonderful selfies of Rachel. And, 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 and Leah has, has lived with this. Just like Jacob lived with it with her, with his brother, Leah has lived with it with her sister. And in Leah, we see really many of the same issues, many of the same issues that, that Jacob faces, many of the same need for performance. Leah says, all right, I had a baby. Now my son's going to love me. I had another son. Now my, now, now my husband's going to love me. I had another son. Now my, you can, it's so, it's so, it's so, it's just obvious. It's like so predictable. It's like, man, another baby? Are you guessing your husband's going to love you again? Well, probably. If I can just produce enough, if I can just show that I am a good wife, if I can just show that I, I am a good housekeeper, if I can just show that I'm doing these things right, then, then, you know, then I'll be accepted. She's not attaching her, 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 her acceptance to, to a person as much as she is to productivity. She says, if I, can, if, I can, if I can get stuff done, if I can produce, if I can be the person that, that people expect me to be, then I will have significance. 
And uh, there's a song that I posted on Facebook last night. It's from one of my favorite um, musicians who died back when I was 17, Rich Mullins. All the 80s kids, give a shout out to him. All three of you, nice. Um, uh, he wrote a few songs, uh, like uh, like Awesome God. Our God is an awesome God, he reigns. And uh, anyway, you'd recognize it if you heard somebody actually singing it. Um, and uh, uh, But it was th- that, that was like his radio song. But he had several like really, really, really great songs that the radio hated, which I loved. And uh, one of his songs was was uh, Jacob and Two Women, as it was called. And it was based in the subtitle was The World is Best I Can Remember It. And he talks about uh, the very the very opening line, Jacob, um, uh, uh, Jacob he loved Rachel, Rachel. She loved him, and Leah was just there for dramatic effect. <laughs> that's the first line. I love it. Yeah, because that's, that's really, it's really the case. I mean, Jacob never really loves Leah. He never really recognizes her as his soulmate. He continues with this Rachel thing, and it's all about Rachel. But, 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 this, but, this, but this is the part that has just struck me as so, as so sad. Uh, uh, in the song, it says, it says that for Leah, her sky, in other words, her dream, is just a petal crushed in the book of her memory of that one time that she thought, he, or that he thought that he loved her and they kissed. And uh, it's just like, wow, she had that one night where she was Rachel. And then she had to be Leah again for the rest of her life. I think, I, think there's, I think there's so many people like Leah, and men and women. Moms, in fact. One of, the great, one of the great pressures of living in our time, of social media, is that you are uh, constantly exposed to people's highlight reel. You're constantly exposed to them as a 10. When I grew up, my mom, she had like this little circle of friends, Patty and Aunt Gloria and Aunt Robin and... Uh, Aunt Carol and 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 I was I was a, I was a boy. Me and my brother, we would go with mom to a coffee shop for like an hour, and they would chat and talk, which is why I'm good at talking because I learned from women. And um, they just they just talk and talk and talk. They talk about all sorts of things. You know, you know what are you going to do for the weekend? You know, oh, me and Greg are going to do blah blah blah, and it's just all the, all this kind of stuff. And and so and so you had a little bit more of a realistic understanding of someone's life. Because when they're talking to you, they're a little bit honest. Oh, yeah, it was, it was good, you know, it was great. But, like, on Facebook and Twitter and, and, and Snapchat, it's like, it's like you get this filter on and all the kids pose just right, and then we take this picture, and it's like, wow, hey, that actually looks pretty darn awesome. And we often compare our unfiltered lives to the filtered lives that we see in our news feed, and we're like, man, those guys are tens. I'm a two. Like, my kids are a two. He's, he's a one, actually. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, dude. Like, just, like get it together. I mean, you know, it's like, and so, and so we feel the pressure of performance. We feel the need to present ourselves in a certain way. And because we're constantly judging ourselves according to what is put out there with filters and, and photographs and even and even like, you know, like extra things. Like now they got like, like these, these cartoon things like, like a tiara that's just random. I don't know. It shows up on people's heads. And, uh, you know, it's just like craziness. It's like it's, uh, how, I mean, how, how unreal are we going to try to get our own persona? constantly pushing the envelope for how much we can embellish and make it look better and feel better than it actually was when we were there. And Leah has the same issue, and she, she goes for performance, and so she, she recognizes God, right? Just, just like Jacob. Jacob had an encounter with God, still had issues. You all, you might be saved, you still got issues. 
she, she, she recognizes God. She even seeks God for her blessings. And she recognizes that her blessings come from God. She says, God has seen me. How, how appropriate, how correct, how absolutely right she is. But the way that she uses the blessing of God, she seeks the favor of man with the blessing of God. She says, God has blessed me. Now maybe my husband will love me. It's like, God is this step up, but man, Jacob, he's up here. God, God, and if you're not careful, if you don't fix your issues, if you don't understand what issues you have, you will always use God as a step up to what you want. Because you think what you want is better than him. You think he, that, what, that Jacob's got something that God doesn't have. And so, but yet in the scripture it makes it very clear that, that in, let's see, it's verse 31, that God saw Leah and God opened Leah's womb. That God sees people who are a two. That God sees people who are second, that best. That God sees people who are underrated and unknown and invisible and unaccepted and rejected by even the people that ought to love them. God saw Leah. And God opened her womb, and God enabled her to produce, and God blessed her with sons. All of these blessings came from God, but she used the blessings of God to try to get the attention of people, to try to get the love of her husband. And so she says, well, the first one, she names him Look, which literally means, look, hey, hey, look. <laughs> this is like who's on first, what's on second kind of thing. She names her kids Look, See, Hear, Right? I mean, look, touch, and feel. That's what, he, that's, that's what she names him. Look, touch, and feel. Because she is not seen, because she is not heard, and because nobody is reaching out to touch her. She names her kids what she wants her husband to do. But really, she doesn't realize that what she's actually doing is she's naming her kids what her God has been doing for her all along. Her God saw her, her God heard her, and her God touched her body. And this is why she gets to her fourth son, and she says, this time, <laughs> this time I will praise the Lord. This, and then she stops having kids. Almost as if, now she continues having kids later on, but the, the, but the narrator says, okay, now no more kids. Why? Why is he putting a period in the middle of her story? Because, because there, there's a noticeable shift in her thinking. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. This time I don't need kids to be happy. Wonderful Mother's Day sermon. This time, I don't, I don't need you kids to be happy. I don't need my husband. This time, <laughs> I just thought of that. This is, this is awkward sermon. Maybe I should have thought about that before. You know, whatever. She says, this, like everybody needs a this time. Everybody needs a this time. I'm going to do things differently. This time, I'm going to stop seeking after the approval of somebody else. This time, I'm going to praise the Lord. This time, it's going to be different. This time, I'm not going to look for, for this person to see me, to hear me, or to touch me. This time, I'm going to exalt God for what He has already done in my life. Not for what I'm wanting Him to do, but for what He's already done. He has seen me, He has heard me, and He has touched me. So this time, He has done everything that He needs to do. 
this time, I am going to praise the Lord. Uh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah is another word for praise the Lord. And, 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 and the Jews uh, put together five Hallels, which is, which is basically short for hallelujah. And one of those is Psalm 113. The first one is Psalm 113. goes from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And I'm not going to read all of them, but I did want to read to you Psalm 113 because I think this is one of the great Hallels that we ought to be saying and reading and believing and, and crying out to God every single day. Psalm 113 starts off with praise the Lord, exclamation point, which means it's okay to get a little bit loud. He says, praise the Lord. And he says, you, yes, we, we ought to give praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The name is the reputation of the Lord. So he's saying that God's reputation is good. He has seen, he has heard, and he has touched. All other religions, they have this ladder, right, that, you, that if you're just good enough, you can get up to heaven, and, and if you're just devoted enough, and if you get this great record, and if you're just moral enough, and there's this ladder going to heaven. But Jacob saw a ladder where angels were coming down from heaven and going up to heaven. And so God, the Jehovah of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ of the New Testament, is the only God to have actually come down to where we are. All the religions say you got to come up to where God is. But, 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 but here we see that the name of the Lord is good now and forever. So right now and then tomorrow and then 14 generations later and then 14 generations after that, the Lord, the name of the Lord is good both now and forever. Everywhere, this is geographically, from the east to the west, we ought to, people ought to be praising the Lord. For the Lord is high above the nations. His glory is higher than the heavens. Verse 5 says, who can be compared with the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? In fact, he's so high, but look at this. Verse 6, he stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth, and he goes even below the heavens and the earth. He goes down into the dust. He lifts up the poor from the dust. He finds the Leah in the dirt and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, even the princes of his own people. He gives the childless woman a family and makes her a happy mother. Praise the Lord. This is our God. At some point you have to say, this time I'm going to praise the Lord. Instead of looking for something else, this time I'm going to praise the Lord. And, and you say, well, why? Why this time? Why Levi? I don't really know, <laughs> actually. But I think it might have something to do with uh, passage in Matthew. I think you guys have that. Matthew chapter 1. We see Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot somebody else, and then a whole bunch of people begot other people <laughs> that got down to David the king. That's 14 generations, then went 14 more generations, and then went 14 more generations in Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the Messiah came through the line of the ugly woman? <laughs> I just wonder if maybe that's why she said, this time. This time, God has shown me that, that in my weakness, he's still working his will. This time, God has shown me that he doesn't have to change my appearance for me to make a difference in the world. This time, God is showing me that there's something better than the love of Jacob, and that is the love of God. This time, I, because what she's doing, what she's producing, even in her struggle, even in her weakness, even when she's trying to gain the favor of other people, all of those, all those names, those are the tribes of Israel. It's a nation. 
God will even use your, your weakness. God will even use your misguidedness. God will even use what you were looking for. God will even use stuff still for his purposes. And she says, so I think this time Judah is worthy of praising the Lord. And part of praising the Lord is, is thanking him for what he's done, certainly his past. And so that's kind of what today is about, really. Today is about honoring moms, um, not for being like humans, not for being the, the sole hope of all of our dreams, but for being a representation of the image of God. Because when God created moms, he, put, he, he made part of himself. And uh, in, in, in the book of Genesis, it says that God created man and woman, and in man and woman, he created the image of God. So the image of God is not complete in just a man. It's not complete in just a woman. It is, it is you, you see parts of, of God's character in moms. You see parts of God's character in men and in fathers. This is why God created the family unit so that children would grow up under, under his entire image. And so we want to honor moms today for carrying that image, along with carrying a lot of other junk and getting stains on your clothes that won't come out and living in messy houses. Not because you don't clean. You, like, you clean every day, except when you're napping and watching TV, apparently. <laughs> oh, you're not going to live that down. It's just like my mom. No way. I don't know... I don't know where that came from, I really don't. But you, uh, you work tirelessly, you carry, you carry lives, you carry little lives. You take the best years, what some would call the best years of your life, and you devote them to people that maybe will never thank you. Certainly aren't grateful at the moment because they're too little to be. But we honor you because that's, that's so what Jesus did. honor my wife because she is the mom of my kids and in a way a mom here at the church um, mothering many spiritual kids but also holding our family together also raising our kids and homeschooling our kids and teaching them not just mathematics and English but teaching them about Jesus teaching them about character um, she's also my best friend so that's why I, I get a lot of benefit from her she, she blesses my life. She blesses my life. She's, in, she's not a subtraction. She's not a drain. She's a, a blessing. She's a, a plus sign. <laughs> I want to thank my mom who's watching online today. I want to honor my mom for her years of devotion. Uh, she's gone through, you know, driving lessons, <laughs> college test with me and uh, homeschooling me right on through and training me up in the ways of God. Uh, I remember one time we were going to church on Sunday night because we were real Christians. <laughs> Unlike you people, we used to go three times a week 
That's what I'm saying. See, that's why you got that's why you got issues. Because you know you don't go three times. We used to go three times. I mean, we're Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, it was like, man, like we were saved, saved, and then saved all in the same week. It was amazing. Nowadays, though, we do have small groups that, that you guys can come to. And we have prayer on Saturday morning, just to plug that in there. Um, Sunday night was our prayer meeting. And so we were on our way to prayer meeting, uh, several. I mean, this is, this is so common. I can't think of a particular time because this happened all the time. We're on our way to a prayer meeting. I'm about 10 years old. And, my, and, we, and we're in the car. It's evening. We're driving. And, um, and my mom says, now, we're going to a prayer meeting, boys, me and my brother. So that means you're going to pray. You're not going to sit there quietly. You're going to pray. You're going to open your mouth, and you're going to talk to God. When I was very shy, so this was, this was difficult for me. Um, and, uh, and she said, in fact... I want you guys to actually pray out, lead out in prayer. I'm 10 years old. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, what am I gonna pray about? What am I gonna say? You know, you get all nervous. Like people are listening to you pray. Like, oh. so. But the Lord spoke to me while I was well, one of those times while I was in the van. I was 10 years old. The Lord spoke to me. And he said, Harry, someday I'm gonna fill you with my spirit. Someday I'm gonna fill you with my spirit. And then you're gonna hear from me. But until then, I want you to listen to your mom. And I think sometimes that's what moms are. They're the, the fill-in, the stand-in for God until your kids get old enough to hear from God themselves. And so I want to thank my mom for speaking to me and directing me and guiding me. And I want to thank all moms here. Uh, certainly, moms, that this year has been great for you. I want to honor you. And uh, your kids are a blessing to you. They're a joy to you. Uh, your, your husband's a joy to you. I want to honor you. I want to... I want, to, I want to let you know that that's, that's how it should be. That's awesome. God is blessing you. Don't take it for granted. You're awesome. But I also want to honor other kinds of moms. I want to honor people who, who, whose moms are in heaven right now. I want to honor all the moms in heaven right now. I don't know if they can see. I don't know if they can hear what's going on down here. I, I, I think they can. We're, this Bible says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So if those moms are up there, I want you to look down and just see what your sacrifice brought. Just and be encouraged that your kids are in church, that your that your kids are having other kids, that your kids are loving Jesus and that they're serving him. So we honor our moms that are in heaven today. We honor moms who have lost children, whether they were, uh, you know, grown uh, and they're not here to celebrate Mother's Day with you, or maybe... Maybe you lost him in the womb. We have a little little one waiting on us in, in heaven. Uh, Micah had a twin. And uh, we found out after he was born that there, there was a twin in there. And so we believe that we have a little one waiting for us in heaven. Some of you have several little ones waiting for you in heaven. We want to honor you. People may not see the stains on your clothes right now, but they don't know the cost of your soul. Your emotional loss that you have suffered with and paid and we want to honor you for being strong for trying again we want to honor moms who have not been able to have physical kids struggle with infertility struggle with all of the the doctor's appointments that that means and all of the letdowns and all of the the disappointments it doesn't mean that you're not a mom to somebody it doesn't mean that you're not impacting somebody recognize you and say that we stand with you we honor your your tenacity to keep on keeping on we want to honor 
moms whose kids are really messed up right now and they didn't turn out the way you thought. We want to honor you because God doesn't make mistakes. And so God chose you to be their moms. And God's not disappointed in you. You did a good job. You did what you could do. And now God's going to do the rest. God's going to do the rest. But we honor you because your kids aren't here to honor you. Just let me stand in place of your kid who's going to come to you in the future by faith and say, thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for praying for me even when I didn't want it. Thank you for still believing in me. I want to honor those who are spiritual moms. I want to honor the grandmothers in the house. We have some amazing energizers. <laughs> we have some amazing older folks. Uh, no, no, you're not older. You're just uh, Jacob's age. Uh, you're Jacob's age. It's all good. I'm sure everything's working just fine. You are, uh, you are, you're needed. Your wisdom is needed. Your wisdom is needed in the life of your kids, and your wisdom is needed in this church, and your wisdom is needed in the life of your grandkids, and your prayers are needed. And we honor you for your faithfulness, for sticking with, and some, some grandparents are actually still parenting their grandkids, and you feel like you're starting all over again. We honor you for not passing the buck on to somebody else. That's honorable. I want to honor foster moms today. All the foster moms who take kids who are not their own and treat them as if they are. It's a, it's, it's a choice that you're making. And we don't take it lightly. We think it's amazing. We think it's awesome. We think your reward is in heaven. And I hope get some reward here on earth as well. Whatever the government can help you out with, I hope you get that help. Whatever emotional help you can get, I hope I hope that you get that feedback from those kids. I hope you understand. I, I hope they realize how much you've blessed them and what you've done for them. We honor those who have amazing relationships with their kids. We honor those who, uh, who have rough relationships with their moms. Maybe you're not even talking to your mom on Mother's Day. And that's difficult. And I don't know whose fault it is, but but we all got issues. And you're welcome here. <laughs> and there's a place of healing for you. There's a place where Jesus can, can come between every single issue. But it doesn't have to happen right now. It can be a process, and that's okay. Okay, sometimes respect takes time. I also want to honor those who are going into an empty nest this year. <laughs> and uh, I want to celebrate with you. Kids are gone. You can, you can be like Cheryl and Jim and get a hot tub in your backyard and ain't nobody going to say a thing. But we also realize that it's not always as, as um, 
Well, it's not always Rachel. Sometimes you think it is, and then you wake up, and, and loneliness is laying next to you, and quiet house is laying next to you. That's not easy. And so we honor you, and we thank God for you for continuing, for not, not dragging your kids back, letting them go, letting them be who God's called them to be. It's difficult. And my mom <laughs> knows all about that. But it's so good. It's so good when, when, we, when we enact the image of God. We bring 